All right, guys, we are still in Powell, Wyoming, here with the Eastman's crew. Let's kick it off. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host. I'm coming at you from the mobile Broken Town studio way over here in Powell, Wyoming. In sunny, warm, and very nice. I don't even know if there's a cloud in the sky, Powell, Wyoming. I'm here with my friend Dan. Say your last name, Dan. Picard, Dan Picard. Okay, I was I was going to say it right then, because I, I, I hate it when I mispronounce names, man. And hey, like... I, I've heard everything under the sun. I mean, <laughs> going, growing up through school and college, and trust me, I've heard every yeah. pronunciation. <laughs> well, I bet good. you have. Um, I'm glad I have an easy last name, and people still manage to mispronounce that, but I don't take offense because of how terrible I am at it, so <laughs> right. it works out. It's part of it. So, uh, like I said in the intro, guys, I'm still here in Powell, Wyoming, uh, Hang with the uh, the crew here at Eastman's um, Hunting Journals, and uh, we are just hanging out. I've got Dan here to talk all sorts of stuff, but let's let's first kick it off with kind of tell everybody what you do here at Eastman's, and uh, then we'll roll into the the rest of it. Yeah, sure, makes sense. So I've been here about nine years now, and I do I was brought here for a lot of the archery. Oh, okay. Portion of the company, the bow hunting, the the videography, and filming hunts, and uh, my background is uh, a guide in Montana. I'm from Montana. Oh, really? So, so I was a, a hunting guide in a previous life. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, here at Eastman's, I kind of do a little bit of everything, and it, it's all seasonal stuff, right? I mean, hunting season's only so long in the mm-hmm. fall on mm-hmm. this continent, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah move around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I do a lot of filming, a lot of bow hunting, uh, show season. A lot of traveling for that, a lot of gear reviews for our YouTube channel, editing, uh, mm. writing, and video, and uh, of course, the Mule Deer course and live events, mm-hmm. speak at live mm-hmm. events, so kind nice. of a little bit of everything. Uh, we, we joke about it here. I'm kind of the jack of all trades. Hey, that's not so. a bad place to be, though, because I, like, yeah. it kind of gives you a, a, a greater value within the organization. Like, like, if they have a gap they need to fill... They just call up Dan. Yeah, it kind of is like that. Yeah. And it never gets old. And that's why I love my job so much is because you come to work each day and you're doing something different each day for mm-hmm. the for the most part. Yeah, so. I, I think that's important too. Well, it, it depends on the personality. You have some people that are, you know, they love their routine and it's the same thing every day. I That makes me uncomfortable, but my style, kind of like what you do, would make them super uncomfortable. So yep. uh, Montana hunting guide, huh? Yep. So what part of Montana are we talking about? So most of my guiding was in Paradise Valley, south of Bozeman. Okay. Yep. yep. Uh, I grew up uh, up in the Flathead Valley, up in Columbia Falls. Oh, way up there. So yeah, northwest Montana. Yeah. Uh, so I did some back west, and then most of my stuff uh, down by Bozeman, and then out by Norris. Um, so yeah, kind of in that region, and then yeah, I moved down here. So how did that come about? Like uh, your your guiding. You're a hunter kind of south of Bozeman in that Paradise Valley, 
And did uh, Ike just call you on the phone one day? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, I think about this you know, quite often with how everything lined up with what I did in my life mm-hmm. to prepare me for this job without knowing, you know, I had no idea I would ever work at Eastman's mm-hmm. one day. And, you know, and that's starting back from being in Boy Scouts and we did all this high adventure stuff and surviving in the wilderness. And, you know, I feel like back in the day in Boy Scouts, we did some rough stuff. I mean, nothing that, you know, kids do these days. Mm-hmm. And then working for the Forest Service when I was in college, I worked in the Bomb Marshal and packed horses and mules and worked in the backcountry all summer. And of course, throughout that whole time of growing up and into high school and college, I hunted as much as I possibly could. And believe it or not, I was actually big into waterfowl hunting. Oh, really? Back in the day. Yeah. And and that was my passion in middle school, uh, junior high, high school, and into college. And then I got into bow hunting more. And I, I was a, you know, all around hunter. I would bow hunt, I would rifle hunt, I would duck hunt, I would do it all. Mm-hmm. And so this job has really kind of shaped me down the the bow hunting path. What is it about bow hunting that kind of takes away from? Because I used to be way into upland game hunting. Yeah. <laughs> upland birds, and uh, I kind of lost interest in it. And I think it was about the time I started bow hunting, which was probably 15 years ago or so. Yeah. Um. That, that's kind of when it shifted. I, I still do it. I still do it periodically. Um, but bow hunting does have a way of, in fact, I forgot how much I enjoyed rifle hunting. And I, I, the last couple of years has reminded me that I still thoroughly enjoy to get behind a rifle on some of these hunts because it's a different type of hunt and it's a different experience. Um, I don't know. And, but bow hunting still trumps everything else. Yeah. It's, it's you know weird. I mean? It's, yeah. it's weird how that is. And I think, you know, as we progress as hunters, you kind of gravitate to maybe uh, a more difficult challenge. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy waterfowl hunting in a different way that I enjoy bow hunting or rifle hunting as well. It's just kind of yeah. different. Different. And yeah. and it seems like, you know, with bow hunting, kind of the, the greater the risk, the greater reward. Mm-hmm. It's harder. That's, you know? that's a great way to put it. And yeah. it, it, you have to work so hard at it mm-hmm. to, to have one success like or, or one harvest, let's say. Yeah. Whereas like waterfowling. I mean, you're kicking back, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're sitting in the blind, you know, if you have it figured out, I mean, trust me, I spent a lot of my younger days figuring it out and shooting one or two birds a day and really working for it. But it's like, yeah, you kick back, shoot your limit, mm-hmm. you know, with the buddies and it's just totally different and it's just more relaxed. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's a place for that too. Oh, totally. And I, I mean, enjoy it, but there's a, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of just being an outdoorsman all around, whether like. You know, I, I and I've said this before. I love the challenge of fly fishing, but I mean, you. I still love to go out and drown a worm. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like I don't, I don't. I'm not super picky with that kind of stuff. But yeah. um, so you ended up here, uh, and I want to kind of. I don't know how much do people know about this mule deer course that that you mentioned earlier. You kind of got. Yeah. So we've put out a couple teasers about it and some ads in the the magazine and of course, of course, social media, but, uh, we're just about ready to release it. We're on the brink of releasing it, but it's been a monstrous project that I've been working on, uh, the last six months, uh, with, uh, Guy Eastman and Brian Barney. And what I really tried to do with this course is look at things from the perspective of a first time hunter or a new hunter. And sometimes that's hard for me to do. Yeah. Because I've been doing this so long. Well, especially like you're a guide. Yeah. You know, you're a guide. That I think the guides have this different uh, 
extended level uh, in terms of being a hunter because <clears throat> of a the amount of time you've done it and the expertise the the level you have to be at just to be a guide. You know, you, you, you got to get have a, a client be successful at some point, right? Absolutely, and kind of off on a rabbit trail. That brings up a really good point because. As a, a high schooler and, and into college, you know, we've all spent a lot of time wandering around in the woods mm-hmm. hunting, right? Yeah. But not so much harvesting. I mean, yeah, you, you might kill a, a deer or an elk in one year, and that's great. But guiding, like one year, I was on 12 successful rifle elk hunts. Mm-hmm. And so just the, it's just like anything, the repetition, the more you do it, the more things start clicking, the better you get at it. Yeah, and absolutely. that's all that is is I just yeah. spent a lot of time on successful harvests. And so things clicked a lot faster and I figured things out a lot faster and accelerated my experience that maybe a, a, otherwise I would get in 20 years of hunting for mm-hmm. myself. I got it in like three years. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very true. Yeah. Uh, shortens that, that, that learning, um, time frame. It, it does condense 20 years of, of hunting. So, um, well, I don't, if you know anything about my show, you, you know that I'm a, I'm a big believer and a big fan of virtual hunting courses because I think that it allows people to absorb the information uh, in a way and in a time frame that works with their learning personality. Uh, learning, um, everybody has unique ways of learning, right? Yep. So, so you, you can go to a seminar. You can go to a seminar, uh, a live seminar, and have an instructor up there, and they, they talk for an hour or a half a day or whatever the whatever the time frame is. Lots of information getting thrown at them, and then you leave. And you 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 you're lucky if you remember or retain like 10% of that. It's the same sitting in a college course or a, a high school lecture or what whatever. Uh, you're hoping that they they retain like 10%. Where a virtual course. Like, uh, I, have been, I've been, um, helping the Elk Collective, right. And, and it's, it's, uh, a great course, 150, whatever videos. And, uh, if I, if I watch a video and I'm like, man, that is a really great point. And then the next day it's like, what was it? I can go back and watch it again. Right. Yep. So that's, that's why I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I think people get a lot out of it. Those that take advantage of these courses. So first of all, why a mule deer course besides the fact you guys have some big ass mule deer here in Wyoming, <laughs> I noticed. So anyway, yeah, the the reason we started with mule deer is it's less popular the the on the online course mm-hmm. you know area, and so there's just not a lot out there. I mean, there there's a you know maybe one or two now. There's one I know of for sure. Yeah, that's yeah, it. and and so that's the big reason is is mule deer. Uh, there's not a lot out there. You know, it's arguably the icon of the West, right? The mm-hmm. mule deer. And I would say that the hunting form is overshadowed by elk hunting. Oh, absolutely. Everybody wants to go elk hunting. Everybody. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's hard to beat that, you know, sexy giant bull elk screaming his head off. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, just kind of something a little bit different and there's not a lot out there. So that's why we started with mule deer. Okay. And, is is this uh, kind of give us an idea of what people could expect with I, I, I like you said we don't want to bore everybody to death with with uh, you know mundane details but what's the course going to look like Yeah no um so it's it's very similar to an online video course that you would take for maybe any skill set you know whether it's learning how to pour epoxy tables I mean that's one that we used for an example mm-hmm. uh, when we really wanted to put this course together so it's it's strictly you know, a, a video course with some bullet points, but it's videos and, and you go through and it's currently, it's going to be about 90 videos. 
and wow. and we start off uh, with the basics, safety in the backcountry, and we go all the way through gear and planning a hunt and finding mule deer and choosing a unit and hunting, bow hunting, rifle hunting, uh, harvest, trophy photos, um, packing out your animal, caping your animal, and everything in between. So uh, we tried to really cover all the topics, be thorough with it, and and I, I really thought a lot about this too. We have right now they're called hunt examples, mm-hmm. and I'm a visual learner, and so I think back on how I learned the best in college, and that was seeing somebody do something mm-hmm. and then doing it myself. Yeah, me too. Like a hands-on. Mm-hmm. And so what we did, uh, what we're doing mm-hmm. in this course is, I we have basically our hunts that we've done over the years, and we have each hunt. Uh, trimmed down from about four to eight minutes a piece with very descriptive narration uh, of what exactly we're doing on this successful stock. What are things that we can take away from this successful stock or unsuccessful stock? There's some misses on there. That's bow hunting, right? Sure. And and what can we take away from each of those stocks and hunts and apply those to future hunts? Okay. And so I I think that's probably the most powerful way to learn uh, is, is kind of the direction that I, I took this course is, you know, seeing it be done, mm-hmm. telling you what we're doing and then having takeaways. And then you got to take that and apply it to your hunts. So you've been, you've been a hunting guide. You've been with Eastman's for a long time. Um, and you've got a lot of exposure to not just hunting in general. Um, I agree with you on the statement that uh, mule deer are the icon of the West. Like to me, when I think about Western hunting, you can't think about Western hunting when without thinking about mule deer, right? And I think a lot of people get started in hunting with mule deer if they're in the West, right? Yeah. Um, so from your perspective, what what do you think people screw up the most when they go out mule deer hunting um, without giving a bunch of detail or content of the, of the course away, right? But what are some big mistakes people make when they're trying to, especially like coming from back east, right? They're used to whitetail hunting, but uh, they come out west, spend a bunch of money, and they don't tag out. What's going on? Yeah. What's going on? So it depends on the habitat or the type of hunt you're on, whether it's a desert hunt or a high country hunt. But a physical aspect is a big portion of it. But I would say the number one thing is patience. And if you think about it, society nowadays we're so wrapped up into instant gratification mm-hmm. and everything's now I want it now. Mm-hmm. And bow hunting, especially mule deer is the opposite. A lot of times on my hunts, I have to wait two hours in one spot for a shot to develop and elk hunting. It depends on your tactic, but if you're calling an elk in, it's pretty hands-on and pretty, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to happen or it's not. Yeah. You know, usually, and it, it may, sometimes it takes two hours to pan out, but a lot of times those bulls will just come right in pretty quick. I, I would say that the majority of your elk encounters during the rut and these call-ins are like 30 minutes or less. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they can't go longer, so I don't need any nasty messages about that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. just a kind of a an average, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. And so I think that's the biggest thing. I really do. It, And I find even, you know, myself hunting mule deer for 20 years— I find myself having a hard time with having patience 
And mm-hmm. so I have to talk myself, okay, I need to, I need to slow down. I need to have patience because I live in a fast paced world too. Mm-hmm. I want stuff now, now, now yep. too, immediately. And so it's just like, you have to take a deep breath. You have to, you know, turn down the gear and just move slow and just don't mm-hmm. have these instantaneous, you know, expectations on a hunt. A lot of times we'll be sitting for four or five days waiting for that deer to be in the right spot to be able to stock it with a bow. Yeah. And that's kind of a lost art. Oh, for sure. It really is. It is. It's a tough one. Uh, Some of my best hunting memories are at 10,000 feet stalking mule deer. And I I was terrible at it. I mean, I I, I just, I flung a lot of arrows and, uh, you know, just uh, the, the nature of, especially those velvet late summer bucks. Right before, you know, they're, it's, it's before they're breaking off, you know, individually. Um, I had a question in there, Dan, and I can't think of what the hell it was. But we'll circle back to that. So yep. um, so patience is a big deal. Yep. And and patience is, because you're right. When you said that, I, I imagined sitting in the, in my deer blind hunting whitetail. And uh, the, the type of patience is totally different, right? Like you, there's nothing in front of you that you're watching and hoping to materialize. It's suddenly a whitetail is going to present itself, and you have a very short time frame to make sure that that whitetail ends up on the ground. Mule deer, you're right. You might watch that sucker, and it's really frustrating because you know he's a big buck. You know he's moving along the bottom of the scree rock or where, wherever he's at, and uh, the you just don't know what's going to happen, and it could take a couple of hours. That's a very good point, and that just sparked a point that I, I wanted to illustrate for sure. Yeah. And the hardest part is knowing when to make a move mm-hmm. and you have to anticipate so much because like you said, he's in front of you this whole time, perhaps if it's your target buck, but knowing when to move, how aggressive to be and you know, how close can you get based on, you know, how much scree are you dealing with? How much ground cover are you dealing with? How much noise can you get away with? Mm-hmm. So there's all these little factors that, for you to put that all together, it takes years of experience to get that all figured out, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Absolutely. And yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. we're just trying to, to cut the learning curve uh, in, in scenarios like that because that's the hardest part of it is how to close that final 100 yards. So you've, you've hunted mule deer all over the place, right? Yep. Um, is there regional nuances with mule deer, like the way they behave maybe in Colorado versus Wyoming or Idaho versus, you know, um, Washington. Uh, and, and if so, what are they? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's greater to have to do with the time of year, whether they're velvet just rubbed and then staging before the rut, you know, maybe that Mm -hmm. mid October and then the rut. And so I think they all kind of do similar things based on the habitat that they live in. And so it's definitely, I would say the regional thing is more elk movement. I would say that's more of an elk thing. But deer, I feel like they do very similar things. But for a lack of better terms, like a deer's personality, like how they act, I think it just varies from deer to deer. Yeah. And I think about this on this, that giant buck in my office. He's 210. Yeah. And he acted unlike any other mule deer I've ever seen. And that's probably why he was so big. But the the first flicker what, of light. What do you mean? Like, how, how did he act? Yeah. Look, it's, it's just weird. It's just like he knew. 
he didn't like to be out in the open during daylight. So that uh-huh. first flicker of light, it's like, you know, he, he would look around and then he would like run down the mountain into a, a huge north face of timber and disappear for the day and not come out in the evening hmm. until dark. And you okay. can you can tell deer, and this is velvet early season when they're most susceptible to predation. Well, hunters. Yeah. Because they're in the open more. They spend time on those slopes, you know, if you're hunting high country. And they they're most susceptible. Their their least amount of caginess is in summer and that early fall, just before they rub their velvet. Mm-hmm. And you can tell, like I'll, I'll see a buck and he might not be quite good enough to, to go after this year, but he might be on that slope until 10 or 1130 in the morning. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, that deer is going to get killed. <laughs> right. His, his sense of self-preservation <laughs> yep, yep. is not there. And maybe it's just cause he's young and maybe he'll wise up if somebody screws up on him or bumps, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he'll develop maybe and start learning and wise up over the years. But I truly believe that even the young bucks, they have that sense of self-preservation that is just completely to the next level that if a nuclear bomb went off, those are the ones that would continue on the species Yeah. because it's just like they're another level up of smart. Mm, gotcha. So what about, um, cause, cause we talked about the regional differences that, that maybe you've noticed, uh, Wyoming, wow, you're, it's bugging me. 210 inch mule deer buck. Is that, that's what that thing scored yeah, out to be yeah. in your office. Yep. Holy crap, man. Yeah. What are the uh, GPS coordinates to work? <laughs> Get out the checkbook. <laughs> What's it going to cost a guy? Maybe we should auction that GPS location right on the show. Right well, now. this is a good point too, because <laughs> that was 2013. Uh-huh. I've gone back to that exact spot. Probably five out of the last eight years. And haven't seen a buck even close to that caliber. And I've found giant bucks that were 200 or at least 190 in other areas. Totally a different. different and I think it's just where they end up that year. I think they could be wherever. You know, in western Wyoming, they they could just show up wherever. So, hmm. I, I mean, I would I would give you the GPS coordinates and say I'm good luck. Totally because, kidding. It's, but no, it's that's a what I'm saying. Joke. Yeah, yeah. No, but that's what sense. I'm saying is because I, I don't believe that one area is bound to have giant bucks you know year after year can you can you touch on uh not necessarily giant bucks but what what do you look for if you're going into a new area to locate mule deer yeah uh so i toward i tend to gravitate towards west facing slopes okay and summer weather patterns are usually coming from the southwest or the west so you get those Mm -hmm. prevailing winds coming up those west slopes and in the afternoon those winds seem to be pretty predictable they're going to come up the mountain and so that's where i start is i I towards tend to gravitate towards west slopes east facing basins are tough they're tough to get it done in because usually it's swirly in there and it's so hard to predict the wind and so the times i've been successful on those east facing basins has been on that 210 Mm-hmm. But that was because it was raining pretty hard. It was at first light and the wind was just down. And so I had that factor, that rain factor, that huge oh, factor in gotcha. my favor. Yeah, that makes sense. Kept the wind down and it was a huge cover noise. It was not a great place to like try to make a stock. It would be a low percentage stock if it wasn't raining. I, I got lucky and it was just everything came together at the right time. But those east facing slopes, it's it's always squirrely. Yeah. The, the wind is. It's tough. Yeah, it's tough. For sure. 
And so, yeah, above tree line, I start there above tree line, west facing slopes and a, and a good vantage. I want to be on a vantage and I, I find these on Google earth or on X maps. Mm-hmm. I'll, you know, scout out e-scout advantage. And sometimes I'll go in there and it's, there's just not the deer. Mm-hmm. You can't predict it. You just have to put boots on the ground and go, you know, find out for yourself in August. But I want a great vantage where I can see country in front of me that is within striking distance within a half a day. Meaning I can get up there and get that buck killed in at least two or three hours. And that's the other hard part about deer is they move beds too, right? As soon as you take your eyes off of them, it's... Elk will lay in the same spot all day long. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not deer. <laughs> deer, yeah. And once you take your eyes off of them, and it take if it takes you too long to get over there, mm-hmm. and you get over there, and the buck's out of his bed, now what? Where are you gonna go? Yeah. yeah that's all. Ha- if you've hunted mule deer, that happens all the time. And, and oh, so I, I try to get into places where I'm within striking distance, where I can see that buck, and get down and across there quick, thirty minutes. Gotcha. And yeah. that really ups my percentage. That ups your percentage. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, spotting that buck in. I'm, I'm turning this into like, like we do the school of September, right? Yep. Uh, for, for September elk hunting. This is like, let's call it the school of uh, mule deer or something. Yeah. I, I, I like, yeah. I like these kind of questions, man. I, Cause I learn, I probably learn more than the audience does. Um, you mentioned scouting and locating bucks in August. How far into the fall are those bucks still going to be in that area? I, I generally say around mid-October, but what, what do you say? It depends on where you're hunting. Uh, the breaks in Montana are different than southern Colorado and are different to uh, Wyoming. Okay. Uh, Western Wyoming specifically, I mean, those deer, they make a huge migration down south, mm-hmm. you know, for the rut. And so they're moving them by nature, by their DNA. They, they are very nomadic. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. these deer up there, they start rubbing their velvet by September 5th, as early as September 5th, or maybe earlier. And they might hold their velvet all the way till September 17th or so. But as soon as they lose that velvet, they, they timber up. That's what I call it. They timber up. Okay. You don't see them as much on those open slopes or above tree line. And you could go in someplace the end of August and see 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. Go back in there September 20th and see zero bucks. The bucks are still there, but they're just acting completely different. So you have mm. to alter your vantage. And, I, and I've done this several times. I've gone back into an area and I'm like, dang it, I bet these bucks have, have rubbed. And so I'll get up on a vantage and overlook a, a bunch of dark timber and and have, you know, I'll, I'll scout beforehand on, on my aerial imagery and, and see that there's some pocket parks in there. And mm. sure enough, those bucks, they bed deeper into the timber and they're just more cagey and they might come out into those pocket parks, but the days of them, you know, living frivolously on an open slope diminish. Yeah. And every, I mean, who knows? Bucks die every year during rifle season that are hard horned on open slopes. Maybe they, they have a, a less sense of self-preservation like we talked yeah, about. Yeah. Those are the ones that die. But others that I've seen, they stay timbered up and they're down in the timber and they make it through rifle season because, you know, a lot of time that rifle season in Western Wyoming, September 15th to what, August 6th or uh, October 6th rather. I was going to say, man, that yeah. is a long, That's a long season. season. <laughs> so it's just three weeks, <laughs> right? I get that tag. <laughs> no, exactly. But that's, that's why they live. Yeah. They timber up and you have a three week rifle season and... It's, it's so it's rifle mule deer from September 15th through August or now I'm saying I, no, October yeah. 6th. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Well, wow, that's it, crazy. Yeah, and some of some of the area is uh, an October 1st rifle 
and it'll go to like maybe the tenth. I want to say I, I don't rifle. So it's pretty short. Yeah, so it's short. Yeah, yeah. And that's when those deer are just cagey, timbered up, and they don't come out in the open very often. So is the elk season running archery to the end of uh, September concurrently with that rifle mule deer hunt? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Huh. That's an interesting little dynamic. It is, but here's the kicker. A lot of times, I don't really see many elk up where the deer are. Yeah, that's true. That's they're, true. It's, it's, they're in different zones. Yeah, there's, there's, I, I think that depends. Uh, up where, uh, you, you know, like like North Idaho specific, you're gonna find you're gonna find a lot of deer and mule deer uh, hanging out a lot with um, the elk and also the whitetail. These big mountain public land bucks, these these whitetail bucks. Man, they get huge, and they hang out with the, uh, the mule deer way up at these these certain yeah, specific elevations. But what's a high elevation in North Idaho is the elevation we're sitting at here. Yeah, right. Four, forty five hundred feet, right? Forty five hundred yeah. feet. If you if you hit forty five hundred feet in North Idaho, you're you're pretty high, right? And so <laughs> we're sitting here in town at forty five hundred feet, which is the same as like Salt Lake. Yeah. Or uh, or Denver. I can't remember what Denver sits at. What can you talk about? Mile uh, high. Yeah, the Mile High City. 5,200, yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's yeah. about 5,200? Yeah. If you're anything like me, you're always looking for ways to improve your elk hunting skills for September. And one of my favorite ways is the Elk Collective. It's an absolute game changer in self-education. This virtual elk hunting course has over 150 videos that cover everything from elk calling, strategy, tips, setup, gear, much much more there's a bunch of people involved some of the best elk hunters in the woods are involved with the elk collective and they've come together to put together this virtual course to help you notch more tags in september so check it out at the elkcollective.com and use promo code all one word the western huntsman for 20 bucks off the entire course that makes the course only 69 dollars it's a great deal and I promise if you go through this course, you will go into the elk woods with a lot more confidence and a much better chance at notching a tag on the mighty Wapping. Hoffman Boots is the boot choice of the Western Huntsman podcast, and it has been for a very long time. I love my Hoffman in the Explorers, in the 6-inch or the 8-inch. Uh, they have all sorts of options for you to check out. Hoffman Boots is my go-to boot because I am a firm believer that when it comes to gear, the one piece of gear you don't want to skip on is boots. Get really good boots. And if you choose to do some Hoffman Boots, you're going to find out why I highly recommend these hunting boots. Made by a multi-generational family of shoemakers, these boots are made right here in North Idaho, and I've got an excellent deal for you if you choose to go with Hoffman Boots. Use promo code ALLCAPSLOCKHUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Get you some of these boots and find out why I love them. Uh, they're totally waterproof. They're going to give you great traction on the mountain. They're super comfortable. There's very little break-in period. Can't recommend hopping boots enough. Check it out, guys. Next on the list is Scree Gear. High-octane hunting attire without breaking the bank. You want to go into the field with good camo, right? You want you want camo that works, that'll keep you dry, that'll keep you comfortable. You want layering systems, the merino wool, the rain gear, all the things that make hunting a little bit easier and allows you to stay in the field a lot longer. The problem with most of it is it's super expensive, not with Scree Gear. Scree Gear will give you all the high-end technical gear that you want 
without having to take out a second mortgage, and that's why I like it. And to make it even better, I've got a promo code, the Western Huntsman, all one word, and that will give you 15% off and free shipping. It's a heck of a deal, guys. I recommend checking out like their bundle packages. They have like the elk bundle or the whitetail bundle or the turkey bundle. All those bundles come with multiple pieces of gear, and you won't regret getting this gear. It's great stuff. Check out Scree at ScreeGear.com. Oh, and you want to call in an elk? Use Phelps Game Calls. I've been using Phelps Game Calls since uh, just about the beginning of Phelps Game Calls. It's a great company story, too. This company started in a little garage and is now one of the premier call companies on uh, within the industry. I mean, you can't you can't go wrong with Phelps Game Calls, whether it's turkey calls, predator calls, waterfowl, or especially I think the bread and butter is the elk calls. And I, I use the Maverick. I use the Pink. I use the Gray Amp. Uh, check out the AMP series. If you're new to calling, I recommend getting a couple of different ones and trying them out. Find out which one works best for you. But uh, I promise you I'm not steering you wrong when it comes to Phelps Game Calls. It's a great company full of great people that make excellent products that actually work. And the proof is in the pudding. Call in a lot of elk, and you will too if you trust me, by going to phelpsgamecalls.com. I got Obviously, I got a promo code for you, right? Huntsman 10. Huntsman 10 for 10% off your Phelps Game Calls and check them out. Phelps Game Calls. Get them close. Two last items. Check out the Reveal Cell Cams from Tacticam. Whether it is for hunting or security, these are excellent cell cams that I have all over my property. To include, I, uh, I put them on some job sites for some security so people I know if, uh, if they're still in materials or whatever, I'm going to catch them. Uh, and another little promo code I like to throw out there is for Batum907 for anybody that is hunting bears spring or fall and you are allowed to bait. Don't forget to go to Batum907.com. Since made in Alaska, use promo code Huntsman10 for 10% off. The stuff works, and it works well. Let's get back to the show. Here we go. Can you talk about what uh, elevation in terms of because that's going to obviously change regionally right um what yes. do you look for elevation wise like here in, in wyoming or colorado or somewhere like utah or southern idaho does that make sense yeah i don't think you know a specific elevation necessarily will dictate where i'm going to look but where where that tree line is and uh-huh. especially early season where wherever that tree line may be that's where i'm going to be Gotcha. If I'm looking for mule deer and like hunting up in the breaks or Eastern Montana, completely different that those deer, they're living in areas that it all looks the same. It's some crazy tag in the breaks though for mule deer, like 20 year wait kind of thing. Yeah. There's, is, is that what that is? Well, there, there's one. Yeah. There's, there's one tag that's limited entry, but most of it's general. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And the breaks, okay. most of it's general, but, but yeah, those deer are completely different than high country deer and they may travel someplace else to rut mm-hmm. and to, to winter out, but the habitat's all the same. Yeah. And where they're spending their summer, they could be spending their January and February and shedding their antlers at that time too. Cause it's all kind of the same and they, yeah, they don't migrate like the migratory herd in Wyoming does. Yeah, these in ones Western are insane, Wyoming. man. Yeah, it's crazy. It's insane. It's crazy. <laughs> and elk are the same. You can you can apply that to elk too. Mm-hmm. There's areas like well, like the breaks, and they're nomadic. They move around, but all that country is the same. Whereas like in the Bighorn Mountains, they spend the summer up in the rocks, mm-hmm. way above tree line, and they end their year down at the base of the mountain. What kind of elevation difference is that? Do you know? Four thousand feet. Four thousand feet. Yeah. Give or take. So. 
What uh, what about you this year? Um, or actually, before we go there, because I want to talk about your upcoming hunting season, mm-hmm. if if that's cool. Yeah. Um, when can people expect this uh, mule deer course to to kick off? Yeah. So end of July. End of July. Yeah. What are we now? So We're pretty, like the 10th or 11th. Yeah. Well, it's the 12th. 12th today. In, in fact, it's my little brother's birthday. Oh wow! Happy birthday, Tim. Heck yeah. Happy birthday, Tim. <laughs> Appreciate it. That's awesome. But uh, I don't know if he listens to my show or not. He claims he does. <laughs> but um, so end of July, this thing will kick off. And I because this episode will be out towards the end of July. So that'll that'll time it'll be frame, going. Yeah. It'll be going. Yeah. Um, can you discuss like price points where people can expect uh, or, or is that not determined yet? Yeah. We're, we're going to be somewhere right around that hundred bucks. And when you justify that in your mind. Just because it's, I think for, for guys like us, we're like hundred bucks to become a better hunter. Hell yeah. But when it comes to actually pulling the trigger, no pun intended, justify it to, to somebody who's like thinking about, man, I'd really like to up my mule deer game this year. A hundred bucks. How do you justify that? In my opinion, the information that we're giving out is worth 900 bucks a year mm-hmm. because it, there's such powerful information in this in this course and this this information takes a lifetime of knowledge and you know between guy brian and myself it's 80 years of experience all put into one course Mm -hmm. and so i would say it's invaluable you're crazy if if you want to up your game at all in mule deer hunting you're crazy not to take this course well and we talk about this all the time but i mean a hundred bucks is not even a tank of gas exactly (laughs) right now and i i feel like you'd be better spent instead of spending a bunch of gas going somewhere you don't know uh stick to where you do know but take some new knowledge to that area does that make sense 100 percent. man it it would be powerful it'd be powerful stuff and on top of that we're gonna be at your beck and call if you're a member of our course yeah. So you what can, does that mean? Like you, you can ask myself, Brian or Guy, a question twenty four seven three sixty five, gotcha. and we're gonna get right back to you. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, that's a huge advantage. Um, I know, I know these courses. Sometimes people they kind of they, they they don't understand the value behind them, and so that's that's why I ask these questions. Yep. But um, I think again, this is one of those things where I get a lot of questions where people are like, well, what kind of pack should I buy? Or, or what what kind of scope do I need? Or what kind of bow should I buy? Or what kind of, you know, how should I re-outfit my, uh, my camo this year or whatever? You know, all that stuff is so expensive, man. It's so expensive. I And, and we talk about on uh, my dashboard hunting series uh, for, the, for the new hunters out there, the youth hunters, whatever. Um, what do you need to focus on? And that is what's between your ears. Because I can wear a pair of... Uh, Kmart is Kmart still a thing? I don't think so. What about like Shopco? And they went out of business around here. Payless shoe store? <laughs> I think that's a thing. Is that still a thing? I think it's a thing. I could wear a cheap pair of tennis shoes from Payless shoe store, and and uh, and whatever, and go out and get it done. If yep. I have the right kind of knowledge in my head, right? And so I think that that's what uh, a lot of people are lacking. They think that uh, people get it in their mind that if they drop three thousand dollars worth of gear, it's going to make them more successful. Or um, we've talked about that about fly fishing too. That's not the case. You know it, and I know it. And so the, what what you're putting between your ears is is what's going to be the 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 game changer. So hopefully that helps people. It's all mental. It's all mental. It is. 
It really it is. is. We yeah. were laughing about this the other day. I used to, when I was a guide, I worked Carhartts. Really? And it was, I was splurging when I, I bought my, you know, my first, you know, ultralight hunting apparel vest. Yeah. I was like, man, you know, just coming right out of college and I got a pro deal on it and yeah. I'm still spending $130 and that was a lot of money for me. Oh man. That's crazy. Yeah. And I just had, you know, whatever I could afford. I think I had some game hide stuff. Remember that stuff uh-huh. that was in the sporting goods store when I was in high school. And that's what I wore. I mean, there was no such thing as ultralight hunting apparel. I remember those back days. then. I remember those days very well. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it, people say it all the time, you know, all the time. It's, it's all mental. It, you know, it's, it's not the bow. It's the Indian. Yep. Um, yep, for sure. And it's absolutely right. For sure. So, uh, oh, lastly, what, what's the course called? Eastman's online mule deer course. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's pretty simple. So yep. maybe I can get a link from you and, and I can link it to, you know, the show notes in here so people can go right to it if, uh, if you want to do this. So, Absolutely. uh, I'm still, I'm we're sitting here podcasting, man. I'm still like thrown off by this camera recording us in person. I've just, it's just <laughs> not something I'm, I'm used to. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get comfortable with it, but wave at the camera. What do you got coming up for this year? Hunting wise. I'm an elk guy, if you can imagine that. Uh-huh. I, I love elk hunting, and I, I love all bow hunting. Uh, but I got three elk hunts this year, Montana, Wyoming, and Colorado. Oh, that's a pretty good so, – man, you're just going right down the, right right down down the, the line. line, man. Yep. yep. Uh, all this side of the Continental Divide or what? Uh, Yes. Nice. Yeah, and I'm starting down south and working north. Oh, are you? So, so you're going to start in Colorado, yep. move to Wyoming, and then go to Montana. Yep. What yep. about deer? Are you doing any big-time – in Colorado, I'll have course, a deer tag on that hunt. Did you get the deer elk combo for Montana as well, or is that? Yes, I, I didn't draw, but I'm, I'm lucky I get to come home to hunt. Oh, that's true. Because huh? I'm from there, took hunter safety there. My family still lives there, so I can just go down and, and buy the come home to hunt. Hmm. Cool, man. Yeah, that's That'll handy. Be fun. I, I tried to draw. I don't. I can't draw anything in Montana anymore. The applications or the applicants in Montana, it's just gone crazy. Has it? Oh yeah. So how many, like I've got, I think I've got like three points in Montana. Am I screwed? Yeah. I mean, it's a bonus point system. So they square your points. So you technically have a choice or a chance, but I mean, I have 22 moose points. No kidding. As a non-resident. You still don't draw? No. I, I still only have like a 5% chance. And that's mm-hmm. the thing in, in these units or these hunts that you have all these applicants, but you never are going to have enough tags Mm-hmm. that whittle down those top point pools and when it's a bonus system i mean yeah you might have 22 points but and there's only 10 people that have 22 points but guess what there's 2000 people that have 5 points mm-hmm. and so it still just washes away your odds it does yeah man it's frustrating yeah. it's really frustrating and the big game combos the same way <clears throat> i mean it's mm-hmm. there there's all just a lot of applicants and i think in the last 2 years well, well, 2021, there's 28,000 applicants. In 2020, there's 21,000. Mm. Before that, there were 17,000 in 2019. So you can see exponentially, yeah, it's just it's blasting. Just and so it's just getting harder and harder. Yeah. So yeah. thankfully, there's the come home to hunt. <laughs> there is. So you've got Wyoming. And Wyoming's basically for a resident, just kind of all OTC, um, over-the-counter general. kind of stuff, general general hunt. Yep. Um, yep. And you... I want to come down and, and chase some mule deers here. Like these these mule deer in Wyoming are just on a different playing field they than what I'm used to seeing around my place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, it's a whole different world here. Yeah, we're talking world class habitat to grow deer, 
and I've never seen any habitat like it. These bucks that grow up in these, in this high country, uh-huh. you kill them, you know, the end of, well, I guess it's the first of September. They'll have two to three inches of fat on their butt. Oh, really? And, you that's know, growing crazy. up in Montana, I never see anything like that. You won't see that where you I might, live. You might see fat on them. And that's mm-hmm. great and fine and dandy. That's, they're in good shape. But, I mean, we're talking that's big nuts. roly-poly. Like, it's crazy. Huh. It's a whole different level down here. That's crazy, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm 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 happy for you. That I I I'd love to come down here and hunt uh, mule deer. Yeah. Just because it's like I said, it's a whole different animal. The, it, these it these is. bucks I've seen since just driving in last night. Uh, I mean, we just don't see deer like that up there. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we get some big ass whitetails, but mule deer like that, that's that's something else. Uh, well, cool, man. Uh, what, what kind of like closing thoughts do you have, uh, in terms of the mule deer course, the, and, and what, what you feel people will benefit the most from? Is it, is it people that uh, like to ask it this way, are, are people that are just looking to fill a deer tag going to benefit for it? Or is it people that are looking to up their mule deer game and get some bigger animals, more mature animals, uh, kind of describe how that works out. I don't think it matters what your experience level is. And I would even take this course because there's so much good information that's going to help you no matter what your end goal is. Maybe you just mm-hmm. want to get started and you don't have the expect expectation out of yourself to kill a deer this year. I've been talking to a guy recently that he's just getting into it and he just wants to kill a buck. And, and it's funny because my personal goals, you know, I, I want to kill a 180 plus, mm-hmm. but that's crazy, right? And, and that's not realistic in most years, but it's my goal. It's where, not realistic where I live, but I'd love to do it. No, exactly. Yeah. And it, it's crazy, right? But, you know, he, he wants to kill just a buck and that that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's way awesome. And may, whether or not he gets to that point this year, he may or may not, but there's tons of information for him. And then there's information to the level that, you know, you kill a trophy buck and you know how to cape it and all the details. And and I think as a whole, it's going to up your knowledge to where you can put the tools in your toolbox and you're going to find bigger deer and you're going to be more confident when you're going to make a stock on that big buck. Because what's the, the, biggest thing that you don't want to do when you see a giant buck you're like i scare it off (laughs) i hope i don't screw this up yeah yeah right screw it up and so the intent of this course is so those guys can go into their tag into their season confident and we talk about it in the course positive self-talk is huge Mm -hmm. and if you know in here that you can get it done you probably can you'd be surprised what you can do I think that says a lot and, and goes – I think that's more applicable than what you're even implying it to be. Yes. I, in so many cases when we're talking about hunting, um, I, 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 had a, I had a mental tug of war this last spring bear, uh, and I had to kind of overcome that and get over it. I, I, I'm like it, it just – it's hard to explain, but I think that what happens is we lose that sense of second nature reaction. When, when, it, when we go into a, a situation. And, and that's one thing that I think these virtual courses help people overcome. When, like you said, when you see that mule deer, what's the biggest thing you don't want to do? Well, you don't want to screw it up. You don't want to chase it off, right? A lot of us go into that and we spot this giant mule deer standing there. And this happened to me four years, uh, three or four years ago. I'm getting old. 
this happened to me where uh, I almost went blank for a minute. And it's like, oh, man, there, there's that buck. Now, how am I going to get this sucker? I didn't get him. I scared him off. Uh, in fact, that's a, it's, a, it's a buck I've talked about where I missed. Um Missed a shot on him, uh, so everything else went right, but uh, my my shot placement was was wrong. So th- a, a course like this, or a course like the Elk Collective, or, or whatever we're talking about, is going to make that more second nature and make it so you don't really have to overthink what your next step is. And I think that that is the difference between people that consistently notch tags and people that get hung up on things a lot of time, like I do. Uh, and, and don't quite know how to react appropriately and that, that animal either gets spooked or, or we screwed up some other way. Does that make sense? Make, make Absolutely. Sense? That's very well articulated. Oops. I don't even know if I could have said it better myself because that, that's what it is. And I think some personalities are going to get it easier and quicker than others just mm-hmm. based on your personality. And, and me and my brother have had this conversation. He's, he's the engineer mindset, overanalyzes everything. Yeah. And I'm, I kind of fly by the seat of my pants, but you, you got to be calculated. <laughs> That's why we get too. along. Yeah, no, exactly. I was laughing right? when we were talking about that earlier because, yeah. yeah, we're totally different, me and my brother. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, he's so calculated, engineer. And he's like, man, I'm just, I'm never going to be a great hunter. Uh-huh. And I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, I just, I overthink things. And before you know it, you're missing an opportunity mm-hmm. or you try too hard. Paralysis by analysis is, is a big thing. You know, it's real. It's a real thing, and and it's a real thing for hunters. And I've seen, I've seen that. I, I've I've hunted with a guy that that was like that, and um, it was it was a situation where we had a screaming bull coming in, and it's either act or or screw it up. And we had to get out of where we were because he was coming right up to where that thermal was, you know, and uh, we were going to get busted. And so, um, but but that's what this guy did. He and he he's done this a million times where he just stands there and he's and I don't know if he does it a million times. I haven't hunted with him in 5 years, so I don't know. <laughs> but uh maybe he's gotten better with that. Uh because there's a place for analysis. There's a place to be have that engineer mindset where it's going to be advantageous. There's another time there's there's another place where it's going to paralyze you. Uh and it's finding that middle ground I think that uh you know we can all benefit from and, and uh, we can all learn from because I could certainly benefit from being a little bit more analytical about things sometimes. Right. Me too. Absolutely. <laughs> but I'm like you, man. I just, I just kind of shoot from the hip. Yep. Hope it hits. But, so. but here's, here's the thing. This is exactly with that mindset. How do you get more confident at making a stock? How do you get better at that closing distance? It's doing it Yeah. and failing, creating right? a habit, creating that habit that, that you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Doing it, not, not, theoretically understanding it, yep. but doing it. And and that's the only way you're going to get better. And so I guess that's the, the takeaway from this with this course is that's what the hunter needs. And that's what the goal of this course was to provide, especially with these hunt examples yeah. is to give you these specific situations and you can say, Oh, you did that right. Or I had, you know, this specific factor in my favor. And, and I talk about that a lot. Usually you have to have one specific factor in your favor. Maybe it's the wind, maybe maybe it's cover noise, mm-hmm. or you know maybe it's the topography. Right? If a buck's bedded at the base of a cliff, it's pretty self-explanatory what your stock's going to be, right? Yeah. If you're going to come, if you're going to be able to come down from above. You're or talking not. about jumping your helicopter and just kind of come over the top, right, and <laughs> launch an arrow. Easy. Right. Yep. Simple. Super easy. <laughs> but stuff like that, that you know. And and maybe in a not so black and white situation, how can you look at that situation and be like, yes, if I get here, if the wind is good, the wind currently is good, if I can get to this spot, 
I can be within bow range and get a shot at that buck. And so that's just taking our experiences and illustrating those for the user so they can apply those to themselves and then use those techniques and techniques and that mindset on their hunts and just mm-hmm. elevate their game. You know, that's, that's the yeah. whole goal of this course. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think, yeah, you're going to let me take it. Absolutely. Sweet, man. I'll even pay for it. Heck no. I, I, I want to take it. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> I am because it's it's funny um, I because I didn't know you guys were doing this when I first showed up this morning, yeah. but uh, one of one of my one of my objectives this year is to uh, a, a, a sizable North Idaho mule deer. Heck yeah. Um, you know I I've kind of I I yeah I haven't mastered the whitetail game by a long shot, but I can always shoot a whitetail man. Like I, I know where they're at. Yeah, yep. you know, and I, I'm no uh, I've got this guy that comes on my show every once in a while, Troy Pottinger. This dude is oh, I know. A, yeah. You know Troy. I know who he is. This yeah. dude is a legitimate white. He's a legend killer. up there in that he, country. He is an he? absolute legend. Yeah. And uh, I love I love getting him on and talking about that kind of stuff. But and I love whitetail hunting. These these public land um, mountain, mountain whitetails. Yeah. I love hunting. There's something about them. But I am a mule deer guy, and that's how I was raised. Uh, and that's where my passion is. Um, behind behind elk hunting and behind I, I gotta say behind spring bear hunting um, I don't I don't know I'd say mule deer and spring bear are kind of neck and neck right now yep. but give me a couple weeks when when we get closer to fall and I'll start thinking about those big mule deer exactly. bucks I'll be like what's a bear <laughs> exactly so, yeah no worries <laughs> well I'm excited to see this course man um Heck yeah. I'll put uh, I'll put all the links and stuff in the show notes for everybody and and uh, I appreciate you coming on man I really looking forward to seeing how your elk season goes too. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's going to be a, a definitely a, a journey and a marathon of a fall, but I'm looking forward to it. I, you're going to put a lot of miles on your truck, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. If I if I'd have known you were such a prolific elk hunter, I'd have gotten you on for school of September too, man. Oh hey, I'm we can still do that, it's right? It's not too late. Okay. We're going to talk about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. We're going to talk. Maybe not today. This is two, two episodes in one day. That's pretty good for me. Heck yeah. I've done three before. This, how about you? Yeah, I've done two, I think. Two, two yeah. in one day? Okay. Yeah. So, well, Dan, my man, appreciate it. Heck yeah. Thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun. It was. Let's, uh, let's keep in touch. I'm serious. I'd love to get you on for uh, for an elk episode at some point. Yeah. Heck yeah. It's all fun. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. made it all the way to the end thank you so much for tuning into the show we sure appreciate your support this is jim huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at instagram at the western huntsman and on facebook at the western huntsman and you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com thanks again we'll see you guys next time stay western and i'll see you on the mountain